Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brees, and this is The Watchman. We're sounding the alarm for the peril and the uncertainty that lie ahead. Our commitment is for the objective truth, and The Watchman will call out whenever we see those that live in the fifth dimension attempt to put feelings and emotions in front of facts and truth. We're going to call out the real motives of those living in the land of the unlimited imagination, folks. We're going to expound on the underreported facts. Today, we're going to be getting to those underreported facts with Rick Crump. Rick is a management consultant by trade with his own firm called Kinetic Experience, helping Fortune 500 companies solve complex business problems. He's been married for 28 years, has four grown-up boys, and as we're going to learn a little later in part of our show, as we break down a movie, they're filled with toxic masculinity. <laughs> he and his wife, Tammy, founded Kinetic Faith to equip and mobilize the church to help turn around the moral decay in our society. And then we have Donna Merritt with us today for the first time. Donna's a, a wife and a stay-at-home mom, proud Republican, ultra Second Amendment supporter. We're very pro-life because hashtag baby lives matter. Berks, she's also a Berks County Republican Committee public publicity chairwoman and the Berks Republican women treasurer and campaign supporter for many winning campaigns. And she's basically a volunteer extraordinaire uh, worker bee, awesome person. I know Donna, she's great. <laughs> Welcome to the Watchmen, folks. Thank you for having us. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you. Well, thanks. I want to get a little bit into this, uh, what's going on out in California now. I want to break down for our listeners some of the characteristics that we see of the, you know, of the, of the left, if you will, the, the activists that get elected. Now, we say it a lot here. I mean, you hear a lot of it on AM Radio 1180 WFYL. We break down and unpack these, uh, well, for lack of a better phrase, we talk about how activists are elected in the Democrat Party, not lawmakers. Well, we just had something happen in California. Now, we know that California is entering medieval times. We see that. Okay. The rat problem, the, the typhoid and with the homelessness, and the sewage in the streets. But San Francisco just elected Chase Bodine for district attorney. Now, the district attorney, just so people understand, is able to set public policy for law and order in a community. Now, the district attorney can be challenged by the state. However, as in Philadelphia, the socialist governors in both California and Pennsylvania, yes, we do have a socialist governor. I mean, after all, our, our lieutenant governor is, I think he's high every time he talks. The man's a pot-smoking maniac, okay? Uh, I mean, bottom line is he's absolutely out there uh, advocating for the legal, legalization of recreation marijuana. This guy is all about getting stoned, playing Frisbee every day. But anyway, so again, this is, this is who we have. I mean, and, and when you have that as governor, well, these people have nothing to do with reigning in fifth-dimensional public policy. We see that in Philadelphia, the sanctuary cities. The little mm -hmm. jig that the Philadelphia mayor did when he high-fived his staffer because uh, a court ruled in his favor, protecting uh, Philadelphia's sanctuary city status. So here we have Chase Boudin. This guy is an anti-law enforcement person. He's an activist. This guy wants to end cash bail, stop prosecutions for quality-of-life offenses. Uh, he wants to have people publicly living in the street. He wants to make sure he protects that. He wants to preserve public encampments. He wants to end mass incarcerations, end gang enhancement. That's really, really good for middle class 
law-abiding citizen and gang enhancements. He wants to eliminate cash bail. He wants to divert first-time nonviolent DUI cases. Now, there's another winner, okay? DUIs. He wants to take somebody that's driving under the influence, as long as because it's nonviolent. After all, they didn't hurt anybody. And it's their first time. After all, it's their first time they were all tanked and falling asleep behind a wheel. No, it was the first time they got caught. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to reject tough-on-crime prosecution. Let me help folks understand this in our listening area right here in southeast Pennsylvania. Every 22 seconds, San Francisco has a car break-in. He wants to wow. legalize. Yep, he wants to legalize prostitution by refraining from prosecuting the offer to elicit behavior, <laughs> the offer of illicit behavior for money. So he wants to refrain from prosecuting the offer of an illicit behavior. For, for you know for for the for the solicitation of illicit behavior for money, prostitution. Oh yeah, um, a little more on Chelsea Bowden. He comes from a family of anti-establishment, success-hating, black cloud depression spreaders, whose parents were part of a of the Weather Underground terrorist group. His mm-hmm. parents also can boast being arrested for and convicted for armored car robbery in 1981. That led to the deaths of two cops and a security guard. Chase has said that those actions from his parents, his parents were such an inspiration for his criminal justice reform ideas. This guy also worked as an, a translator for Hugo Chavez, yes. uh, you know, chief socialist in Venezuela. He's the man who single-handedly brought down Venezuela. Well, now he's the district attorney in charge of law enforcement in San Francisco. Uh, Donna, why don't you uh, start us off with your comments on this fella? And uh, what are your thoughts on their electing this person? Why would they elect this person? And, I mean, uh, what do they have to look forward to with this person in charge? Well, let's see. That's San Francisco. That's Nancy Pelosi's area, right? That's right. (laughs) That's the area that is worried about straws in the ocean when their sidewalks are littered with um, uh, homeless people, feces, and drug needles, right? That's right. Okay, well, it just appears that these people who are in in these areas um, have no concern for real law enforcement, so why would they vote for one, somebody that was, (laughs) right? Absolutely amazes me. uh, This guy... that this this guy is out there. I mean, what what are your thoughts on absolute despair? Absolute despair out there, and people, you know, murders and and rob like people are breaking into people's houses because they're literally camped in front of their house on the sidewalk. <laughs> you know, people they, get in the cars and too. They people know when they leave. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. You know, people are renting people cars so they can sleep in cars. I mean, that's just crazy. And they're taking up all the parking spaces too. So to me, it just seems that lawlessness is the name of the game there in San Francisco. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, well, we know yeah. what's going on with the rats in San- in Los Angeles. There's rats, I'm sure, problems what? in San Francisco, too. Rats are bringing typhoid. They're bringing typhoid. Just so our <laughs> listeners understand, the bubonic plague started from rats. And they've got typhoid. Yeah. they got typhus now in the streets in California. I want our yeah. listeners to understand that. And this district attorney wants to protect those encampments. Uh, Rick, uh, will his decisions, Rick, help the middle class? Is his goal to help the law-abiding citizens, or is his goal to usher in anarchy? 
his, well, let's put it this way. He is a direct reflection of his constituency. That is the one indictment that every politician has, and, and it's really an indictment on us. You know, we and our, the way our system is set up, our, our representatives are a direct reflection of the constituency that voted them in. And so he is a reflection of the values of San Francisco. You know, the lack of values. Oh, by the way, and the lack of success, too. Think about it. He was a public defender, and now he has to go become a prosecutor. Most public defenders, if they're really good at their job, end up going into private practice and end up making a lot more money than prosecutors, uh, getting people off from their crimes. This guy never makes it out of, out of the gate as a public defender. Uh, and so, so going to be a, a, a prosecutor is not that much of a, a change in his income. And that's, that's noteworthy because what, he's, what it's saying is that San Francisco citizens, residents, they don't value justice, nor do they look for somebody who's successful at bringing justice. This guy spent his whole time trying to get people to evade accountability uh, and whatever mediocre uh, uh, record he has is now good enough for him to become the prosecutor. So whatever his agenda is, it's reflective of the people that voted him in. Oh, it's unbelievable. But I think this at this category, this is this is this is evidence based proof. Exhibit A as to what we've been talking about for the last 14 months on The Watchman and on the point on our other show, The Point. That the Democrats elect activists, the Republicans elect lawmakers. How do you know he's an how do you know a person's an activist and not a lawmaker? How do you know? Because an activist is not interested in enforcing laws. An activist is not, they're not even interested in changing laws because they understand what it takes to change the law is to sway public opinion with rationale to the public. Well, they don't have rationale to convince anybody. They want their radical, twisted ideology to be infringed on everybody. They don't want to enforce the laws. They want to, they want to have the courts make these decisions. And I think what's important, I mean, the police union president, Tony Montoya, stated he was in total distress that San Francisco would have to endure another four years of bad public policy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really? The, the, police, the police are the real losers. In yeah, the, they really are. Well, the middle class is, and, and he knows it. No, you know, no. The, 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 I don't let them off because they, this guy got elected in by that middle class, okay? The police who are supposed to be enforcing the laws and bringing people to prosecution – are going to be the ones that have their teeth kicked in by the citizens for the arrest and their teeth kicked in by the prosecutor who won't back them up. I mean, the police are the ones that are in a real bind here. The, the middle class is getting what they deserve. Honestly, but but in all reality, I, I would say that if they had like a 50% turnout, Rick, but they didn't have that. I mean, when you got 10 or 15% of these nuts in, that, in California that race to the That's polls every time fault. there's an election, I agree. I do agree. But I think a lot of it has, I think a lot a of this has to. still a vote. But I do think a lot of what has to have a lot happens is the local news does not report the news. So you don't hear the people in San Francisco are not hearing about the distress. They didn't know that this guy was running for reelection, obviously. And they didn't know they I guarantee they didn't know the facts. I mean, I mean, if there was any kind of a movement on the ground to, to get this out to the public, I think they would have had a higher turnout. Now, I don't know what the turnout was. I don't, okay? But I'm presuming about 15%, okay? Uh, I think that's probably a safe presumption. But, I mean, let's just say for grins and giggles it was under 20. Now, that being said, I do agree with you. I mean, 80% of the public didn't even vote. Now, for that, I guess they're going to have to deal with it. And, And I guess to your point, and I do agree, and I think we all can agree, is that when you don't vote, you don't have a say. Why wouldn't 
they vote? I mean, their 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 community is in such disarray and despair. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only people they're succeeding are people with money and like the tech people and a couple people with jobs, but their streets are just littered. Why wouldn't they vote to to fix things? I don't understand. I cannot grasp that concept. At I, all. I would almost I would almost guarantee that they didn't even talk about the elections in the newspapers. Uh, we know because yeah. because we work the county. I mean, all three of us, folks, just so we're all clear. All three of us are in the Burks Republican Committee, okay, all three of us. Uh, and, and we all know this, but I'm going to share this for our listeners, for those that don't know. But we get calls all the time in our headquarters and emails and requests on social media about, well, who to vote for and, and you know, when are the elections and specifics about the elections. People don't know. And oftentimes uh, they start seeing signs go up, but they're really not sure of the date. They don't know what's at stake. They don't know the significance of the candidates. I think what's also important is that we're not teaching civics in school. So we're, we're, we're seeing a lot mm-hmm. of these, a lot of what's happening, I think we're seeing is that people don't recognize, well, in this case, a district attorney and the value of it. This disposition, right. I mean, they set public policy I and mean, they, they, they determine what to enforce, basically. And I mean, they're, they're, they can be overrided by the, by the governor, but if the governor's an activist... <laughs> The, the people got problems. Look, 35% of the population of San Francisco, 35% wants to move. So one-third wants out. Okay? <clears throat> now, that kind of apathy doesn't bring voters. That kind of apathy brings, well, apathy. <laughs> they don't vote. They're totally despondent and out of touch. They want out. So these people, I mean, I, I don't think there's, there's reasons you don't have turnout. One of them is when you got one th- more, more than one-third of your population wants out, people aren't exactly taking taking interest in the, in the local politics. And that might be one of the other issues. But Montoya's concerned that this guy wants to protect all that which plagues and torments the middle class and the public safety of law-abiding citizens. San Francisco has the lowest, now this is a very important statistic too, San Francisco has the lowest per the lowest child per capita rate of any city over a half a million people in America. I mean, San Francisco's got a very low per capita child per capita rate. They're not having children. That's what that is. Hmm. This is because families don't want to raise a family there. <laughs> I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, but but right. Rick, I mean, what are your final thoughts on this as we move on to, to something else? But I mean, what are your final thoughts on that, Rick? San Franciscans are reaping what they've sown. We don't like to talk about it in the church, folks, but that that law of nature still applies today as much as it did when it was written. And we are not to take joy in it. We are not to to revel in it. But we have got to sound the clarion bell and say, you are reaping what you've sown. You have nobody to blame but yourself. And, the, and you know, it's a chicken and egg uh, argument about whether they're not having kids because of the chaos in their society or because or, or because they don't have kids, they have chaos in their society because there's a lot of correlation between people who think children are, are a plague in our society and their leftist views that are that are whacked out in all these other areas. But they are. But the bottom line is this city is the, is the most black and white example I can think of, of, of people reaping what they've sown and. And this is the future of our society. If we do not make the case as Christians that people need to turn around and see the sin for what it is in their life and be and and move in a direction that God wants us to move in with our values. Oh, I, absolutely. And I think what's really compelling as well, and when we think about this, and I, I want us to realize that you know, 
Berkeley is in San Francisco. Okay, Ber- Berkeley is the land of the fruits and nuts. I mean, they truly are. Okay, right. they're not learning anything there, but they're learning how to be good little activists and Marxists there. Okay, and that's what they're learning in Berkeley. Okay, uh, we had Ben Ben Shapiro's got a sh- he's got a great he's got a talk show here on the station AM radio eleven eighty WFYL. Ben Shapiro's got a, a daily talk show here. Comes on at like three p.m. But what's interesting right. is ben, ben Shapiro was out at Boston University, and he was protested. And the crowd booed out the protesters with chants of USA, USA, USA. I think what's really compelling in all this, and, and Rick, to your point here, I think when we challenge the status quo with these universities and we go in there with a conservative message, we empower people on the ground to come out and stand up and be counted. What's going to motivate the middle class, the people that live there, to vote? How do these people get elected? They're so despondent. They're so, they're so much, they're, they're just depressed. They're, they're, they're discouraged. There's so much discouragement amongst the, the people that, the middle class, if you will, the salt of the earth people that live in San Francisco. They need to be slapped awake, Clay, because here's the thing. They're like people on a sinking ship, okay, and they're paralyzed, and they're, and right. they're in shock. Right. And the, right. what's going to happen is that when their bodies hit that cold water, just like when the Titanic that's went right. under, that's, right. that's when they're going to start flailing. That's when they're going to act desperate. And what's important is that we get them right now. We get them right now, get their attention. Because the despondency that they're feeling, it is it is a product of their decisions and indecisions. That's right. But, but, to, but we cannot – sympathy in this case is not letting them off the hook. Sympathy in this case is a slap across the face that says, wake up. That's right. Wake up and get out and vote. You know, what's really, but, but, but we, again, that's what the, the local party apparatuses do. I mean, we're, we're part of the Berks Republican Committee. What the local apparatus does is it gets out and encourages and motivates. I mean, what, what does the social media do? I mean, the social media on the, in these, in these uh, organizations, what it does is, in organizations like ours, is it speaks to the discouraged every day. But not just every day, but several times every day. So people are consistently pinged with a new hit on Facebook or a new whatever tweet or whatever. It's something to encourage them, to lift them up, to let them know that there's people out there who feel the way they do, who want to succeed and eliminate the obstacles to the middle class. I mean, the president, and this is just a little bit on the opioid, the opioid crisis, the president talked about his war on this epidemic, as he called it, and he, he initiated this in a very short time. He has now turned down or turned around this. He's been the line on the opioid crisis. For the first time in 20 years, we've seen it. We're now seeing a decline of over 5% of anything. This has been on nothing but a steady increase for the last 20 years. Every year, every year, increase, every year, increase. All of a sudden, Trump gets elected and boom, decrease. Well, what's the difference, folks? What happened? Trump tackled the problem. He didn't just throw money right. at it. He threw money at right. it. He put he invested money into a working process and he had smart people figure out how to bend this line. And they're making headway. Now look, five and a half percent, I mean, obviously I wish it was fifty percent or a hundred percent, but he's at least bending the line. Look, families and communities across our country are dealing with the worst drug crisis in American history. And the Democrats well, they want to legalize this stuff. <laughs> I mean, and decriminalize it. Look, children are being robbed of relationships with their parents because of addiction. Those that survive 
are then subjected to drug abuse themselves. Drug abuse steals the future of children and thrusts the lives of victims and its victims into the trash heap of eternity. It destroys people. Trump called it an epidemic. I got to tell you something. I that is true. I mean, Ronald Reagan called it a war on drugs. Barack Hussein Obama said, no, we're not going to call it a war. What did he call it? A, I don't know, a friendly fight? Uh, Rick, what, what did Barack Hussein, I can't even remember what a Barack, Barack Hussein Obama called well, he it. Had to, he had to call it something more peaceful so he could get that Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean right. but I mean, we, we have not been doing anything for the last 20 years on this to stop it. And now Trump is doing it. And he's, <clears throat> this is another fulfilled campaign promise. I mean, going forward, I, I just think it's important. I mean, Donna, do you want to comment on the opioid crisis? Can I make a real quick observation? Yeah, here? go ahead. Sure. The, the, I've said it since he got elected. Um, as a management consultant, that I, I spend time in the boardroom with the C-suite. And, you know, for, for all the good and the bad that we have of the opinions of executives, I can tell you with assurance that there's a reason why Trump is running circles around these people That's in Washington. Right. And that is because that an executive that had to produce results all their life and got into the habit of producing results. They trust me, they deal with politics and business. We all deal with politics. And I will tell you, they're running circle. He's successful where others fail, not because he's not, he's successful precisely because he's not a career politician. He's successful because he's had to grow up with an ethos of, of producing results. People in Washington never held accountable for results. And, and so the very thing that they criticize him for and say it doesn't qualify him is the very reason why he's running circles around them, because he's not a career politician. No, it's an, it's an amazing fact, and I think you're right. Donna, did you want to throw anything in on this opioid crisis that is now declining? I mean, what did you want to throw in on it, if, if anything? Well, the only thing I can say is uh, about the opioid con- um, crisis is because I've been watching Dan Muser, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so his, his congressman, his congress— um, are involved in many um, uh, in, in many panel discussions, and they're listening. You know, I even think Ben Ben Carson has played a part in that. You know, they're going out to the communities, they're talking to them, and like you said, they're finding out what you know what where the issues are and how they can help. They're actually working to fix the issue. So nope. here, you know, um, yeah, because Dan, I know he's been in several in Tamaqua and in Luzerne County and Pottsville. You know, just I see him all the time discussing it, so I'm sure that's because the administration is, you know, asking his members to look into it in their areas. And just so our listeners understand, Dan Muser's congressional district has about half of Berks County, and uh, yeah. we we just we just uh, saw him the other day. Uh, great guy, and obviously he's right. committed he's committed to the success of our country, and a make mm-hmm. China make, make make America great again, not not the make China great again Nancy Pelosi groups. Well, I I want to talk a little bit about the man-hating woke tards. I think what's interesting in this is they've destroyed Charlie's Angels. I think, uh, now I didn't see the movie. I wouldn't go see this, okay? I mean, I'm not advocating this movie. I just think, I I thought it was worth discussing this for the last five or seven minutes in our show today. Because truly, uh, Hollywood is is on a drumbeat now. They used to create movies to appeal to everyone. Men, women, young, old. Then the strident feminists, well, they they goose-stepped in. They took over, and along with their comrades in Hollywood, whom are all triggered with their intersectional ideology and driven by eco-anxiety, <laughs> are looking to change the world into their intersectional nightmare. 
They consistently portray masculinity and femininity as anti-women, wrong-headed, and holding back women. Look, these intersectional goose-steppers <laughs> have become the perpetually offended on a mission to free the perpetually oppressed from the male patriarchy. Okay, <laughs> To do this, they create movies, television, and commercials that exclude men, demean men, humiliate men, and mock men. No more male heroes in their movies. Uh-uh. No more chivalry. Uh-uh. These intersectional lunatics spend their entire lives battling the fifth dimension demons. And by the time they're 50, they look back on the scorched earth they left behind and drop into manic depression. Then they need that two-way petting zoo, Donna. Okay. Right. <laughs> that way the animals pet them back and they feel better. Look, Hollywood, Hollywood creates movies and television productions that portrays their crazy view of America. That's their mission. See, their mission is to free the millions of hapless, helpless, shackled victims from the unjust and undeserving, successful male capitalist. Rick, you've got some toxic masculinity in your house with four boys. What are your thoughts on some of this? Yeah, you know, when we <laughs> raised our boys, we never raised them asking them, what would a Christian do? And some people are like, wait, what? We raise our boys in every circumstance to answer the question, what would a Christian man do? Mm -hmm. And that's an important distinction, because I I still don't even think in the Christian homes there's enough emphasis on the differences and the call of of our sexual identity that God has. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul ends the the, the epistle by challenging the men to act like men there is a distinct difference and we are called to act like men so yeah i kind of wear the the uh the the brand of uh, toxic masculinity as a medal of honor honestly you know because everything that the that the leftist feminists hate the feminine Nazis hate uh you know healthy attraction to the opposite sex yes we promote that they believe my sons believe their sex is determined by God that they that they don't have a say in it. It was already predetermined for them, and they must live in submission to that. Uh, they're called to lead and love their wives. They're called to chivalry. They're called to sacrifice. All the, and, and yes, that healthy sexual attraction to another woman is going to mean that they are going to pursue another woman, and they're going to ask her out, and they're going to hold the door open, and et cetera, et cetera. All the things that turn the feminists off. I wear that as a badge of honor that my, my, my sons live up to that. I well, you be should be prouder of them. You should, but and I want to so get they, I, I, I want to get Donna in. Our show's getting yeah. close to the end here, so let me do this. Donna, the feminist man-hating woke-tards have decreed that thought crimes are problematic, and therefore this movie's going to be as as unimaginative and dull as possible. Look, the, the movie, Donna, appeals to people who probably haven't laughed or smiled or had anything to be happy about since the 29-year-old Billie Jean King defeated 55-year-old Bobby Riggs in a tennis match back in 1973. The movie is, is, it depicts androgynous characters, none of the standard male and female characteristics, no femininity in the females and no masculinity in the males, a sort of masculine female heroine whose purpose is to take out the toxic masculine males. Uh, Donna, what are your final thoughts on that? I would not go see this movie either. <laughs> I mean, but what are, you, what are your thoughts on what Hollywood produces? Oh, I, I totally agree with you. I don't even go to the movies anymore. I, I don't I, because there's nothing out there that I want to watch, and this would probably be on the bottom of my list. <laughs> I mean, that's something like I'm always trying to say. Like, you know, God created men and women to um, specifically in certain ways. We vary here and there, you know, but. Generally, 
you know, we're supposed, women are feminine and men are masculine. Men are the providers and the protectors and the women are the nurturers. Like that's our job, you know, our God given job. That's the way we're created. And for these people to, um, you know, want to change what God has created, what God ordained, they have an uphill battle to fight. I'm sorry. They really do. They're trying their darndest. The the enemy is really working hard with them. But, um, as you see from the results, if you're reading, you know, that the, it's, fa- it's failing in the, in the, um, in the box office. They had empty cinemas. Yes. <laughs> they right. had, and, the, and, the, and the producer blames it on men. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I have to blame everything. I mean, after all, we are the worst culprits. But I'm going to say this, right. Donna. You know, I, look, I appreciate that because that's true. I mean, what you just talked about, every one of those points, I mean, America's seeing it, and America does not want movies like this. But, folks, we are, we are out of time. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in to The Watchman today. We want to tell you how much we appreciate you tuning in every Saturday afternoon at 4.30 right here on AM Radio 1180 WFYL for The Watchman. We'll see you next week on The Watchman. For Donna and for Rick, I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.